Welcome to Luthier's Tale. I'm Ben Liggett, Luthier and owner of Liggett Guitars. For info on my guitars, go to liggettguitars.com. If you like the podcast, toss me a dollar on Patreon at patreon.com slash luthier's tale. Every week I interview someone that is passionate about their craft. Today I'm talking to Scott Eve, owner of zenguitartrading.com. Scott curates an ever-changing lineup of gently used luthier-made guitars with an emphasis on electric guitars. His insight's important as he's owned guitars from some of today's top builders from the boutique guitar market. All links can be found in the episode's description. Let's get into it. I'm here today with Mr. Scott Eve. How are you, sir? I'm wonderful, Ben. I hope you're well, too. I'm very well. Yeah, thanks so much for talking with me today. You are you are like the you are the go-to guy for used luthier made instruments high end only well uh i don't know if i'm the go-to guy but i i certainly um i've been really fortunate that things have gone this way and i've met a lot of great builders like you and uh, developed a client base over time so i'm i'm having a blast uh, yeah it's really awesome what you're doing uh, for people that aren't aware uh, scott runs zen guitar trading which is like a, it's like a small pool of ever shifting stock of high end, gently used luthier made instruments, and I I don't really know of a lot of um, even like a physical physical stores. You're, you're online only, but uh, I don't know of any physical stores that have the selection you do, which I find really cool and interesting. Yeah, I've been able to, um, you know, there, there's a few guys that do kind of what I do and um, who are guys that I look to when I was starting. Craig Snyder of CR Guitars in New York Absolutely. is one that comes immediately to mind. Craig's a great guy and has, you know, great gear. And um, I, I thought about doing a brick and mortar thing for a long time. But when you do that, you know, you add overhead immediately, which means you got to start charging more than I want to. And the other is then you're kind of locked into having to be at a place. And um, while there's a certain allure to that, uh, I've got a tremendous amount of freedom. You know, I can do my work on a walk. <laughs> so uh, right. I, I, it's worked out really well. Well, why not be nimble in this current marketplace? Yeah, and in life, you know. It's sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. having a physical location, I, I feel it with just having a shop with tools in it. Um, it's it's a little bit of an albatross. Yeah. You know, you can't just pick up and go anywhere. That, that, that That's true. There, there's, uh, there's certainly trade-offs, you know, with, with a shop like you have or other builders that I've grown to know. There's a... Um, you can feel a lot about them in their shops, which I real I personally appreciate. But I'm also not having to, you know, tend to the tooling and uh, sourcing the materials and cleaning up after. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. But um, but for me, w with what I do, um, like I was on the road today to work on a an amp and a guitar deal, and it took me an hour to drive and an hour talking to a guy, and you know. 
and and I could get back here in time to meet with you. So it's um it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very neat. What what is the what, what deal did you go do? Can you talk about it yet, or is it sure? Yeah, you bet. It, I've been um, uh, a few years ago. Uh, I was scanning Craig's. I, I scan Craigslist, you know, every day uh, nationally, and and I located this a picture of a really cool looking um, combo amp that was said to be built in a um, in a neighborhood actually in Portland, not far from where I live. So I got a hold of the guy and his name was Eddie Wong and I got to know Eddie and helped him kind of get uh, with something which is really in line with what I do and that's finding new or emerging builders and trying to help them navigate marketing and name familiarity and discovery and all that. And uh, so Eddie and I have had a relationship now for, I don't know, three or four years, something like that. And, um, and then Eddie started building guitars. I, so I helped him, you know, sell amps and get amps in shop because amps, you kind of have to have in a shop. It's kind of hard to sell just online. And, uh, but I've, I've long had this, uh, this sound in my head um, of an amp tone that I was going for. So about a year ago, he and I started talking about that. And, um, and then, you know, with COVID and everything, it was kind of hard to, you know, navigate that. And I just wasn't ready. I wanted to get some money set aside so I could pay him to do it. Well, about, I don't know, four or five months ago, we started really kind of the nut and bolt thing. And then one day he invited me to a shop, which is in his garage in his, at his house sat me down and we went through a couple of amps that he had so we could discuss circuitry, controls, tone. I had ideas about tube uh, complements that I wanted and I knew I wanted something uh, pretty compact, relatively simple in circuitry, uh, but with a, a big sound without having to get real loud because I'm getting older and most of the guys I play with, most of the venues I play in, you know, they don't like real loud music. And yeah. um, so we discussed that. And Eddie, Eddie's got a, a background in physics and, and education. So, and he really knows how to take technical stuff and break it down so a lay person like me can understand it. So, you know, and, and so the net net of it is that we've come up with this amp that is now, uh, there's a prototype built. And I was going to pick it up because it's just spent some time with Matt Proctor of M-Tone where I, I'm, I've now put the amp on a tour. So local players and builders that I know who have really evolved ears can hear it and give feedback. So I was going to pick the amp up and um, I've got to run a, another set of speakers, another tube complement through it. And, uh, and then I, I'm helping him sell a Jack Briggs semi-hollow. And uh, I, so I brought it over to my house so I could take some pictures and it's a guitar that I actually sold to Eddie a couple of years ago and I wanted to refamiliarize myself with the guitar. And, um, so, you know, we did that swap and I said, I gotta get going because I gotta talk to Ben. Brilliant. Well, yeah. that's very cool. Uh, so Eddie Wong is yeah. called Eddie Wong, uh, amplifiers or Eddie Wong, impl uh, instruments at W A N G not W O N G. Okay. Um, and so people look, he's got a website, he's got an Instagram account. 
Perfect. Everybody check him out. So one thing I want to ask you is there's a tactile thing with guitars that I've been chasing, I would say the last five or six years. Um, but it's like um, when everything comes together, the guitar is, um, you feel it like in your fingertips, the way it responds to your playing, um, the vibration of the, the string against the fret. Um, and that tactile thing, it kind of came together for me last night when I got this amp back. Uh, I just, for the audience, I just got a, uh, a, a Fender um, Princeton, a Tweed Princeton, and, you know, an original one. And there is something about the clarity um, that makes, it, it really amplifies that whole tactile thing. Yep. There is no place to hide with right. that clean tone. It's like every right. movement you do on the guitar, it comes through and it feels so immediate. Uh, yep. I've, I've been playing uh, practice through just my iMac, you know, with a, uh, um, a bias effects, which is like, sure. a, you know, a, a modeler, an amp modeler and all that. And you can just set it to sound like David Gilmore and, you know, you can yep. do Gilmore solos and, and it's cool and all. But uh, going from that to this old amp, I mean, it is like, it's a whole different thing. And, and that's something that I wanted to talk to you about in regards to luthier-made guitars. And when I think everything is, each, uh, each piece of the guitar is put together as snugly and fit as perfectly as it possibly can, when it all comes together, you get an instrument that is incredibly tactile and responsive um that's a that's a really long question isn't it <laughs> well i think uh, uh personally uh i think that is um I, I in fact i was just talking to a guy about this the other day um i think a, a lot of guitar builders um you know, number one, they're, they're motivated to, you know, build a guitar and they want to sell a guitar and they want to, you know, make a living at it. And, and, uh, and most build guitars that are cloned or copied by something that's gone before. And it makes sense because it's an easier market to, to get in. In one way, it's easier to get into because you're building something that's quasi familiar. On the other hand, uh, you're jumping into a pool where there's, you know, 50 million sharks as opposed to, you know, one. And um, so it's a blessing and a curse. Um, there's, you know, something about like a Kelly that is really familiar. Um, a lot of guys talk about Kelly's being, you know, hard to play. I personally never found them hard to play. Um, but, but I think that when, when builders get to the point where they've evolved enough skill-wise and then their ear um, has evolved so that they can start to hear what the guitar is giving. And then, you know, what are they trying to, what are they trying to build? Because I've had stuff uh, by, uh, I hesitate to say the best builders because I don't think there is such a thing. Um, but I've had acclaimed builders, uh, very acclaimed, yeah, very, um, you know, highly regarded builders, uh, from all over the world. And, um, and 
what you sense after a while, after you've had enough of their builds and, and I pl I play them, you know, like uh, all the guitars I have, you know, when gigs were going on, when I played a gig, I, I don't have a personal guitar. These are just, you know, they're my guitars. So when I go to a gig, I take that guitar. That's very and, zen of uh, you, by the way. Well, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, a, it, it, I mean, that's another whole story about, you know, about, <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you follow that idea all the way through? But, um, so I, I think the tactile thing, it, 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 it was refreshed to me. I, I had a Stephen Marchione 20th anniversary nylon string, classical guitar. Uh, you know, it's one of one. Uh, Marchione is, you know, acclaimed as probably one of the top 10 American builders, uh, I would say. Is he based um, in Texas? Yeah, he's in Houston. Yeah. Um, he, he started as a repair guy on... Um, on actually on flamenco and nylon string guitars. And then he learned how to be, he was a true luthier's violin builder, still to this day builds a violin a year just to keep his chops up. He builds so solid body, semi-hollow, hollow, uh, flat top acoustic, arch top. Um, I mean, he he's a true luthier, he can build anything. And his, so this nylon string I had, I had not played a good nylon string in probably 15, 18 years. And, um, and he's not, he's not in the nylon string world. He would not be one that, you know, the, uh, somebody that was going to play a, a, a concerto at Carnegie Hall, they would not be looking for a Marchione. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a good guitar. It was voiced a little bit and built a little bit as a crossover nut height saddle heights and things like that. There was actually a bit of relief in the neck, which is kind of unusual in nylon string. Well, when I, I was playing, uh, I was sitting down playing it one night and uh, on the G string at about the seventh fret, there was a harmonic that was created and I could feel the back vibrating against my chest mm. or my abdomen, my torso. And I hadn't felt that out of a guitar in long because a classical guitar vibrates like nobody's business it violate it vibrates like a, a violin does or a cello does mm -hmm. um and i thought you know I, I really miss that because there's a you connect with the instrument and the sound in a very different way when you feel it like that as opposed to just hearing it and uh and it's i candidly it's missing in all and i would say 60% of the guitars I play. Um, 60%. Yeah, I, I would say we're, you know, I mean, uh, you know, most electric guitars, you just don't feel that way. Yeah. Um, and it's got to do with a whole bunch of stuff. Um, do you think that accounts I, for 60% of, um, of the high end stuff you're getting? Or are you, or are you just talking about the guitar population in general? Uh, I would even say the stuff that I get, I would, I would say half of the stuff I get it, it. They're really, really well made. But when you find those really special pieces where, um, and this, I mean, this is, you know, my way of evaluating a guitar, which is probably different than, you know, a lot of guys. Um, I first evaluate the guitar based from a player's perspective. I mean, you know, it has to appeal to my eye or I won't go get it. And I have to kind of know 
there's got to be something that draws me to it. And and we're all um, the story in the guitar sales world is guys buy with their eyes. And then the other is they buy what they hear about or what they think they know about, as opposed to, you know, I kind of go the other way and I, I buy based on really what interests me. And I look at it and I go, uh, when I first discovered your stuff, that um, the deco piece oh. um, was a really, really um, unique. Uh, and the, the build was really unique. The finish was really unique. And that kind of stuff really, and I also thought, you know, it's going to take some work to sell this, but I think I can do that. And um, that stuff just appeals to me. So, so I think of it, you know, when I first pick them up and play them, I, you know, when I hold them and, you know, all the guitars I get in, I take all apart. I mean, I take the bridges off. If it's a bolt on neck, I take the nut, uh, the neck off, you know, I, you know, I, almost always polish frets and oil boards and I clean pots and I, you know, I do a full setup and all I check the truss rod to make sure it works and all that stuff. And what I've discovered is if, if, if the nut is a really good, and I mean a really good one, not just the material, but if it's the right height and it's cut, the um, angle of the nut slot um, is a, a, a good one. Um, you can then you can hear the nut when you play the guitar and um and the other is they set up way way better uh, then you know are the frets i don't worry at all about fret size personally i don't worry about net carve i don't worry about radius none of that i don't even worry about nut uh width none of that because i play so many guitars i don't even think about them. my hand just adapts it's like yeah. does the carve make sense based on the guitar the neck woods, you know, it's, it's like, did the builder get it right? Did they, and it doesn't really matter. It could be a really pronounced V. It could be a really soft C. It could be, it's like some builders, they get it. So the shoulders are, you know, the nuts really good, the shoulder and the radius and the uh, depth all work together to provide a musical neck that is, that's, that invites you to play it. And, and, and then the, the bridge, a really well-made bridge or, or manufactured by the builder. Uh, that's, um, you know, some guitars need to be really spot on intonated. Others, it's not quite as important, but uh, it was the bridge, you know, uh, is it good material? Is it uh, uh, cut right, carved right? Um, if the guitar really needs to be intonated, can you? Uh, the other uh, a pet peeve of mine is truss rods. Um, some builder, I mean, all builders build guitar necks that you know have truss rods and they turn and they move the neck. But I mean, I've had necks that you could not pull all the relief out of, no matter what. Yeah. And, uh, and, and a neck, in my view, should never be dependent of the, your ability to adjust the neck should never have anything to do with string gauge, in, in my personal opinion. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, if it, it, depending on, you know, what the builder is trying to accomplish, uh, I, I know some guys who I know as soon as I um, uh, put the tool in to adjust the truss rod. I know I'm going to be, I can put it exactly where I want it. And, and setup's really important to me because it, you can take a really inexpensive guitar. And if you know how to set it up properly, you can make a really good guitar out of it. 
Sure. You can take a really, really expensive guitar that you can't set up well and are bare to play all the time. They just never quite get there. And um, so those things are kind of inexcusable. I mean, like I talked to my luthier friends about it. It's like that's that's the blocking and tackling. If you can't get that right, then, you know. What do you think the general consensus uh, amongst the luthiers you deal with is in regards to uh, compression truss rods versus dual action? I, I think um, more and more what what I see coming to me and one of the guys that I talk to, I think more and more guys are going to dual action. I want and, if I had an applause sound effect, I'd put it in right here. Yeah, um, and 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 it makes sense because you know you don't know where the you don't know where the neck is going to end up. You know what. You know, is it going to be in Brazil? Is it going to be in Alaska? I mean, you don't know. Yeah. And um, and then some some guys. I'm not even sure that it matters so much what type of truss rod you put in, as opposed to does the luthier really know how to put it in so that because I think that uh, truss rods all, should always be somewhat engaged. I mean, yeah. I know I've had them where you'd say um, you got like not three full turns, but you got a revolution and a half of the truss rod nut before anything happens. And I, that's just wrong <laughs> uh, because you, you that, that means you've lost all that ability to adjust. And um, which means you're really starting to adjust the outer edges of um, the, the neck relief or back bow or whatever. And I just, I think you want uh, as much adjustment as possible, not as little. Um, yeah, absolutely. Personally. Yeah. It, um, and I, I found this coming across banjo necks that were really, really old. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want your instrument to survive for 80 years, you, your best bet is a, is, is as much, adjustment as possible yes yeah i mean you got to start off with good wood yes. and um but then it, i think you're right i think the more adjustment and i think the same thing is true with bridges um uh, i i think you know um having the uh, like i i i have a guitar in the shop right now that um it's got a really good bridge um really really well made i've had them in a bunch of guitars two-point trim um one of the few bridges I've ever had where you can really work a tremolo and the, and the guitar will not go out of tune. Uh, but the way um, the builder installed the, um, you know, it's that issue of the, the, the neck pocket depth uh, coupled with, you know, the, um, the manufacturer's suggested uh, adjustment height for uh, uh, bridge posts the way this builder built the guitar, um, you can adjust the bridge, you can get it just right, but you, but you're, it's like a hair trigger. It's like, yeah. and to me, there, it, it should never be that fine. Um, uh, I think if they would have um, uh, taken a little bit of depth out of the neck pocket, it would have raised the neck up a little bit so you could adjust the bridge, the, uh, the posts up a little bit, or they would have even they needed either needed to go deeper or taller because you end up with the high and low E saddles where they're almost decked. Uh, when you know if you want to get you know uh, kind of uh, a flat neck, very little relief, 
and um, and you're not one to shim the you know the butt of the neck and all that sort of stuff. You end up with uh, saddles that are decked on the uh, on the, which means you can't adjust it anymore. Yeah, and um, and, and a lot I, of times I, that that angle coming off the back of the uh, yeah. the bridge, you know, yeah. there's a sweet spot of, yeah. of downforce, you know, and you yeah. get too shallow and you start uh, sacrificing things. Yeah, well, you, I mean, you lose, um, you know, A, the ability to set it up, uh, B, I think you start losing tone, and then you lose playability. And, and all, and I, you know, I try to, you know, when a guitar leaves me, I try to have it, you know, as good as it was, or maybe better than when it came from the builder in terms of setup, because, you know, builders have to, when they ship them out, they've got to set it up to like a nominal, unless their client has really, you know, prescribed exactly what they want. Well, so I like look for a sweet spot that makes it really easy to play the guitar and it sounds really good. It stays in tune and it makes the guy want to, you know, pick the guitar up and play it. Cause I mean, I have stuff that arrives to me and it's absolutely $8,000 guitar that's absolutely unplayable. And I think, oh, no. I, I don't get it, but, uh, but yeah, that's me. Cause I'm a, I'm kind of nerdy about setups. I, they, they matter to me. And, yeah. and I like doing them too. I, uh, I, you know, most guys don't like changing strings and I love setting guitars up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, as young as I, um, or, or ever since I started messing with guitars, uh, I was always adjusting the truss rod, adjusting yep. the, the bridge height. I'm like, why is this so hard to play? Well, I need my yep. strings closer to my fretboard. How do I do that? Allen wrench. Yeah. Cool. You know, yeah. I, I was always tweaking it, trying to get it to feel as good as possible. So there was nothing in my way. I was afraid of adjusting truss rods for probably 15 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I was for quite a while too. Yeah. And then uh, a luthier friend of mine gave me a, a class on setups and it's like, it's the best hundred bucks I've ever spent for my business. I mean, yeah. Uh, and now I'm, you know, I know that, uh, I know my pay grade, like I don't, cut nuts because that's a real art. You know, you have to really know what you're doing. I don't do fret work. I don't, you know, um, dress frets. I, you know, I have guys that I really trust that I take to do that stuff. And, uh, but when it comes to just basic stuff, you know, putting pickups in and out, changing out pots, you know, doing a setup, adjusting a truss rod, you know, I, I can handle all that. And I, and I like the other is you, I've learned a lot about how people build. I've learned about, weaknesses in a builder and strengths and now i know that you know unless a guitar is really you know really messed up i I can kind of buy anything and make it okay yeah uh, yeah yeah like you were saying you know you can take an inexpensive guitar with a bad setup and get get it set up right and uh and it'll be a fine instrument to play on absolutely you know um but but then there's that difference that uh that I want to talk to you about and that we were touching on with, uh, how do you pronounce his name? Marchioni? Marchioni. Yeah. Marchioni. Yeah. When I first saw his instruments, I was like, well, the, those look nice. You know, they're just very clean, but they're kind of understated. But mm-hmm. then I, I would see the price and I would go, whoa, whoa, what, what is the deal with this? And so in your opinion, do you think, um, does he have a unique ability to, um, reach, to grab that thing you're talking about, the tactile responsiveness thing. I've had uh, some of his guitars that were, um, 
I, I, I had a uh, 59 burst, which is his semi-hollow that he um, that he built uh, after a relationship with a New York City jazz player. And I, 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 I got that guitar as a consignment piece. And I was really, really um, impressed by it. And I took it to actually Matt Proctor, who owns uh, M-Tone. And I gave it to him and, and Matt had seen Marchioni's work and said, oh, you know, they're nice. But, and Matt started playing it. This is, you know, COVID, we're in his backyard, we're in mucklucks and, you know, <laughs> and, and he said, that's a perfect neck. And I said, really? And he says, oh, it's probably the best feeling neck I've ever played. And Matt's got really high standards. And I mean, Matt worked for Saul Cole. Um, I mean, and, uh, and he said, wow, that's, and, and Matt never played the guitar plugged in. Um, and I thought, you know, that I, I think that, and that's probably brand new 18, 19, $20,000 guitar, something like that, depending on woods, you know, this wow. one had a spruce top, uh, mahogany back, um, ebony board, mahogany neck is I think at DeMarcio at that point was winding his stuff. It was a, a really, really well done guitar. I've uh, got uh, a, a um, once a decade guitar. It's a, um, uh, his Texas, which is an 18 inch, uh, which is a huge guitar. Um, it's got a walnut back, walnut neck, ebony board, uh, Engelman spruce carved top and back. Um, single pickup, ebony bridge, ebony tailpiece. Um, it's it's a really really good guitar. Um, it's really well made. There's some stuff that you know that I quibble with in terms of design. Um, would I personally pay forty thousand dollars for it? No, but that's that's me. Um, uh, I think the the people that you know Steve and um, he appeals to a different sort of player where you mentioned uh, there's a there's a cleanness to his design. In some ways, they're kind of simple. Yeah. Uh, most of the guys that I have had these guitars in their hands, that's the first thing they say is that it's it's simpler than I thought it would be. And, and, and they are. But he's, you know, he's found his niche and it's a really successful niche for him. And um I, um, uh, the, um, the 59 burst, I, I sold that guitar for $10,000 and it was worth every penny of it. Uh, the guy bought it, you know, with cash the first time he picked it up. Wow. Um, uh, I, I sold other pieces, you know, that where I got, you know, I didn't get that kind of money, but there, he had a, um, I had a, um, he calls it his neck through. So it's a, uh, kind of a, you know, it's the typical, uh, neck, neck with long tenon and then the wings glued on but this one was actually one piece so he called it his unibody yeah i've seen this uh, yeah the the neck and body are cut from a single slab of wood yeah so the this was mahogany so the entire guitar uh all the entire body the entire neck you know fingerboard actually naturally and then the headstock was built up was cut from one board and uh and it was a it was a fabulous guitar uh, I, i'll say this about marchioni i think he does um about as good a job of 
voicing pickups to reflect the inner character of the guitar of anybody I've played. So does he, he winds his own? No, he hasn't done, but he's, oh, did he he's, either, got a really, he's either got a really good ear mm-hmm. or a really good ability to communicate with, you know, designer, engineer, whiner, whatever. Um, but uh, of the three electrics that I've had of his, when you play the guitars unplugged, which is kind of the way I test guitars out. I, I figure if an electric sounds good unplugged, it's going to sound good plugged in too. Well, as you played Steven's guitars unplugged, and then you just slowly roll the volume up, the guitar just kind of got louder as opposed to starting to change into some other animal, if that makes sense. That's interesting. Yeah, because most guys don't achieve that. Um, most guys just kind of, they, I, I think they just kind of pick pickups that are popular uh, or familiar. And, 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 and I'm not saying they're bad pickups, but I think they just kind of go or they, it's what they got in the shop or something or what the sure. customer ordered. So as you take the guitar and you start to roll things up, it's, you know, it, it turns into something different, if that makes sense. And, uh, and I, re- I really appreciate it when a guy, uh, the, you know, um, Jersey girl, cause go to cause, I think. Uh, you know, Cos winds his own and his pickup winding skills have really evolved. That one you got and then the next three that I sold, very similar to the Marchionne in that as you roll the, the pickup up, you kind of hear, now, you know, you hear difference between a neck and a bridge pickup, but that's got nothing to do with a pickup as much as it does where that pickup is in relationship to the bridge yeah. or the neck. Yeah, there's and, something about the pairing uh, of the instrument to the pickup yeah. that that seems like there is a, a more accurate microphone for the strings than another. Yeah. Uh, there is an optimal one. And, and, Absolutely. and that's even apparent in like vocal microphones. Uh-huh. Microphones have their own little quirks and like frequencies that they kind of um uh influence or or elevate Uh, i'm I'm missing the wrong missing the word it's what they amplify and you know i remember years ago saul cole told me uh, he thinks of pickups as microphones that all they really do is they well essentially amplify the sound of the guitar it is what they are and and if, if you look at how a microphone is made i mean it's practically the same thing yeah Right. You know, there's slight differences, but, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a metal string microphone is yeah. what it is. And, yeah. and it's, uh, it, and it's just so amazing to me that, that they, they made such an accurate, um, let's say PA system for that mm-hmm. uh, in these old Fender amps. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it sounds like it's an accurate representation of what's happening super close to the strings like yeah yeah it it, it's really remarkable so well and that 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 gets just kind of further down the the uh tone chain and yeah i mean because when you think of it you know the um the the first thing that um is naturally striking the string, but it's the pickup's ability to pick up that vibration and then interpret it and start to send, generate and send a signal that ultimately 
is reflected by the speaker in your amplifier. And, uh, you know, figuring out that those, those two things, if they're in harmony with what, you know, it's all about, you know, can you get to the sound, which is why this, this amp thing was so fabulous for me is, you know, that they, it is an electric signal chain, uh, and, uh, which is really different than an acoustic one. Um, and, uh, you know, fig figuring that out is, uh, it's, I think it's where the juice is for me in music is trying to figure out how to, how to get to that sound that you kind of identify with that you can, that you hear and, um, different. And I was uh, talking to Eddie this morning about, you know, my preference in terms of, you know, what kind of bridges and tail pieces I like or I dislike. And, uh, and it all has to do with the sonic quality more than the, more than how they play. Um, I, I, I'm not really fond of the sound of an ABR bridge with a trap tailpiece, uh, unplugged. And I'm thinking when I'm playing them unplugged, because there's kind of a plinky quality that I don't like. Yeah. And, um, as opposed to a rap tail piece, which you don't get that out of it. Um, now, if you've got a, a wooden bridge with a trap tail piece, that plinky quality is is um, altered uh, because it's you know it's either against you know bone or ebony or rosewood or something, so it's not as metallic. But that metallic sound, I, it doesn't appeal to my ear and um, never has. And um, so, yeah, I mean, and it's all about sound and um, trying to uh, reflect in some way how you, how sound makes you feel and how thoughts and feelings that you have, how do you, how do you uh, um, uh, project them sonically uh, without words? And, um, you know, we've been uh, struggling with the idea of how, as we go through this, um, you, I'm sure you do it all the time as you're talking about amp, uh, guitar builds. How do you describe sound with words? Yeah, it really <laughs> it's is really hard. hard. It, it's very, it reminds really me hard. of, of uh, wine tasting. Yeah. And, and the way yeah. that you have to, you basically have to like kind of uh, imagine what, uh, that somehow this is kind of like black cherry, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. and, and yeah. uh, cigars are the same thing. It, it's yeah. funny how um, a lot of these high-end markets um, or, or connoisseur markets, if you want to call them that, uh, wine, cigars, um, high-end liquors, um, and, and musical instruments. Um, there's something ethereal about it that is yeah. hard to... Um, it, it's not concrete what makes a better than B mm -hmm. and, and there's something about that. And there's, um, there, there's mysticism around it in the marketing of these things. And, and that goes for, oh, for all know. these markets okay. and, and their similarities really fascinate me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was just talking to a guy the other day and he was talking about, you know, um, that he tries to really never listen to the advice or description that people give them about the tone of a particular guitar, because he said, it's so subjective, it's so individual, and, and you have no idea how really, <clears throat> unless you know the person you're talking to, 
how did they come to that conclusion? Um, was it something they read? Uh, because with a guitar, you would always hope that it would be something you either feel or you hear. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to, <clears throat> well, I read that these pickups sound really good. But something about the high-end market is um, there's a little bit of a, my my senses are up to try to detect why, you know, why did yeah. I just pay $38 for this cigar? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and so you can convince yourself that it, that it's better than it is or it that it's worse than it is. And every single experience that we have in this manner um, is influenced by every past experience that we've had. Absolutely. And and uh, and we're probably generally kind of blind to that. Um, yeah, for uh, the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've got sometimes a, uh, after the fact, we can kind of uh, put it together. It's like, why in the world did I do that? Right. Or, or why didn't I do that sooner? I, I you know, I can't believe I, 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 um, I know people who, uh, for example, have, you know, really, really exotic gear and, um, and yet they play in a manner. It's not that they can't play. It's that the, when I watch or listen to what they do, I think, well, here's the thing in your signal chain that you're really most um, attached to or influenced by. And, and in some cases, it's got nothing to do with the guitar you play or the amp you play through. It's all the stuff that you put it through in between. And, uh, and yet you spend a lot of time curating guitars and amps when in the end, I could kind of give you any guitar. And you, you mentioned the modelers. Well, they, it, it's, it's almost akin to modelers that you you're what you're with a modeler, the modeler becomes the most influential piece in the signal chain. Absolutely. And, um, and the modeler was, is a computer program. And, um, and not that that's not, not that there's anything wrong with it, but it's like, well, um, you know, really pay attention to, do you need an $8,000 less Paul to get the tone you want, or you could, could you really have like a heritage that you paid 1500 bucks for and actually get the same thing? Or could you have like a knockoff parts guitar that would get you, you know, it's like understanding what you're, what are you really going for? But the, you know, the guitar buying experience is, I mean, it's fascinated me dealing with guys and, and learning, you know, what, what flips or switches, what, um, uh, cause I, you know, I deal in the real fringe of the guitar world. Um, I, I mean, fringe people, but, um, you know, I'm not selling typically Fender or Gibson or, you know, a lot of PRS or, you know, Gretsch or Heritage or you know, I'm selling stuff that, you know, most people, most people have never even heard of. Right. Yeah. And, if anything, uh, you're kind of like shining a light on, um, uh, a lot of builders that, yeah, like you said, most people haven't heard of. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, for, uh, that, that's kind of, uh, been, um, like an underlying motivation is how to get these people who are really artists and who are really, you know, stepping out of comfort zones, trying to create something and trying to help them get, uh, not, not, um, popular, but at least recognized or discovered, um, you know, five years ago, I'd never heard of cause in Jersey girl, you know, Matt Proctor's the one that turned me on to him. Yeah. You know, eight years ago, I'd never met Matt 
on and on and on. And, 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 and there, there's such incredibly magnificent work going on that, uh, and I've just kind of scratched the surface, you know, I, eight years ago, I never thought I'd be, you know, doing what I'm doing now. It's, uh, it's just kind of taken off. And, and I just, uh, I kind of follow, you know, the, the first thing is it's got to really appeal to me. I, I don't go after something unless I'm doing like a consignment thing to help somebody out. But if it's something I'm seeking out, it's something that I would, I would and do play. It's like, I, I would, I would love to play that and I'd love to figure that out. And, and I, you know, I take uh, like the early Jersey girl stuff was, it was a real risk because nobody, I mean, nobody, <laughs> nobody knew who they were. And I'm like, wow, I'm spending a lot of money in these guitars. I don't know if I'm going to be able to sell it, but, but you know, it's worth well, it. To... You, you say it's a risk, but when I look at Jersey girl, um, they are so unique. Oh, yeah. I don't see how um, there, there's some things that just kind of stand above um, the rest and they kind of have their own thing about them. And, and when I see their stuff, I mean, they're kind of one of the best in the world to me. Yeah. But four years ago, yeah, nobody knew who they were. Hey, and I did. They, yeah. Well, <laughs> some builders, like builders do, but you know, but builders typically don't buy other builders guitars. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That, that was the first time, for people that don't know, I, I purchased a, a Jersey Girl. And uh, that was the first time I'd ever um, spent that kind of money on, um, yeah, another luthier's instrument. It, usually if I want an instrument, I'll just make it myself. Exactly. And yeah. uh, and, and I'm glad I did. I, I learned a lot uh, from it. Oh, and, and you got, um, I mean, what you got was... You know, I, in terms of the Jersey Girl stuff, it was an iconic piece, and um, and uh, I mean, I I know how they've talked to me about you. Uh, that last origami picture. Oh uh, the, yeah, did I, they like that? Oh yeah, yeah and and cool. uh, but I mean, and that was the first out of the um, refurbishment project, you know, that I that I sold, and you know that um, that whole relationship which really initiated, I mean, I'd started the relationship before you decided you wanted that, but, but that kind of, you know, like, um, you know, popping the cork, uh, it's led to, you know, I, I've got, uh, cause is going to send me more refurbishment pieces and I've got, I'm going to, I'm bringing four brand new pieces in next year in 2022. That'll be kind of like one a season. Yeah. And, uh, that's great. And it's turned into just a, a fabulous role. I mean, they are so genuine, so creative, so giving. I, I mean, they're just like, they're what people ought to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can tell they're great people. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's led me into, um, you know, other, I, I've just started working with Adriano Sergio Ergon guitars in Portugal. Yeah, he's and, also great. He's another yeah, one of those super unique dudes. Oh, his 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 um his cars that he does that are very angular and blocky, yeah. almost like a like a rock formation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I don't know if people realize how freaking difficult that is to do. Yeah. Um, and yeah. he pulls it off with uh, an artistic grace that is uh, commendable. Uh, it's very impressive his stuff. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, candidly, when I first discovered him, I don't know, three or four years ago, um, when I first saw that stuff, I thought, Ugh. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they and they are kind of weird and jarring at first, but they uh, are, and, and then but it's it's like um, um, you know that it's the old adage in jazz that Miles used to t- tell guys, or I think it might have been Dizzy Gillespie would say, if you play the wrong note, play it a second time. That's intentional, and then it's not a mistake. Yep, and uh, it's the whole idea of becoming familiar with the unfamiliar, and um, so the more I looked at his work. It's not that I thought, oh, I would do the same thing, but I started to get it. And and then the other is if, if you follow people like that, you see the evolution in their work and you start to discover what it is they're either working through personally or what it is they're trying to convey, which is when guitars become art. They're not just, but his guitars, um, if you ever listen, I, you know, I've not, I've not had the pleasure as yet of having one in the, in my hands. I'm, I'm not far from that, I think, but when you hear them, um, they're spectacular. And uh, he's, he's, uh, you were talking about the tactile um, notion. Yeah. He, you know, for, he got started as a tech for like metal bands touring Europe. And uh, so for decades, that's what he did. And, you know, so extremely high volume, extremely high gain, but guys still kind of wanting clean. And he said, you know, and, and guys played, they tend to play heavier guitars because they kind of hold together. The, the sonic impact is not so great as to dis- completely disturb the guitar. Yeah. Well, he's gone another way now. So he, all of his, almost all of his guitars are hollow or semi hollow. And the latest one, He's actually braced it like an acoustic. Mm-hmm. So he's going the other way, which is to carve them as thin and light as possible. Cause he said, that's where the nuance and the, the feel really comes from, but they're not guitars that you would play at stadium volume. Absolutely. You know, and, and that's a uh, big distinction. You, you know, yes. if you're a touring musician um, and you're on a big stage, you don't want the world's most responsive guitar. Cause nope. You know, it's, uh, you're in fact, have you to... might want the world's least responsive. Yeah, guitar. yeah. You want something that's a little more like a brick than a yeah, than yeah. A, um, yeah responsive thing. And, uh, and I think that you know the distinction is, uh, in fact, somebody just made that this analogy to me the other day. Uh, um, about one percent of guitar players, if that, are that, are the guy playing a stadium at you know well, mega dbs yeah and and, and, and like you said how, the older you get you don't need that loud uh, yeah. thing anymore well, the other is we we tend to buy what we think is popular or it's in in vogue or whatever so you see people kind of going that way when they play in their bedroom yeah or they play in their basement and it's like no you you want a really nuanced guitar because even when you got your amp cranked you're not playing it near the volume right this person is so it's like kind of knowing and being kind of knowing where you where you are and being honest about where you are and then finding something that suits where you are as opposed to buying something that's you know not aligned with who you are what you are what you're trying to do and uh, and i i just you know uh more and more i try to talk to guys about you know when they'll talk to me about a piece, it's like, what kind of music do you play? Who do you listen to? What kind of rig do you play through? Do you play live or do you play, are, are you a home? And, and there's no judgment. It's not, you know, I, I don't, you know, it took me years to play my first gig. 
you know, and I don't think I'm a better guitar player because I've played gigs than somebody that has. I, in fact, I know that there's a lot of guys that are way better guitar players from than me, and I've never played a gig. So that's but it's like sure, but you're to, what, you're picking the the tool for the job. Exactly, it would be like you know, like uh, if if uh, you're a, a hand carver, period. And I'm a CNC salesman. And I just keep trying to bang your door down to convince you to buy something rather than saying, oh, well, I actually have this really good line of Japanese chisels that you might be interested in. Precisely. You know, and, and so, and, and um, I found, you know, I'll, I'll walk away from a deal because I think, yeah, I, I, well, I, I almost, uh, I had a guy that really wanted this Gil Yaren that I've got in the shop that's a brilliant guitar. But he, you know, when he, I kept asking about what he played and he kept talking about vintage this and vintage that and heavy Les Paul this. And, and I said, this is not the guitar for you. And he says, why? And I said, well, it's a, it's like, it would be like if, if Les Paul had turned over to the young whippersnapper that was coming up through Gibson and they wanted to continue to evolve the Les Paul, that's what this year in 59 would be. It's it's not a fifty nine, and um, so it's gonna it's got a different sonic palette completely. In fact, we just compared it to a Bartlund fifty nine clone, and they could not have been more different. And it's not that they're one's better or worse; it's just that they're really really different. And this guitar would have been terrible for the guy. He'd end up turning around and trying to sell it. And it's like you know, I don't need the money that bad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's better to have a happy customer a lot of times. Yeah, because you know I, this is all about. I mean, for me, the whole the whole thing started with music and sound. Uh, I just ended up, you know, playing the guitar, you know, and, and I'm trying to learn how to play the shakuhachi, which you know is a whole other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're brothers in that endeavor. Yeah, yeah, don't try to learn how to play the shakuhachi unless you got a lifetime to. <laughs> oh man, it's pretty fun. I, I'm I'm starting to get decent at it. Oh wow, that that's good. And see, he's a side blower, and I'm a I'm a straight line blower. So you know. Yeah, see, I, I would fall apart if I had to pick up that <laughs> traditional one. Yeah, but at least now I could pretend like I could pick up a flute and do something like a, a like a yeah. regular flute. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, yeah. The, uh, the that's that's a thing I try to describe to people um, the difference between what this high end. A guitar market is and, and what the difference is between a $700 Strat and a $3,800 custom uh, guitar that looks just like a Strat from a builder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and what that difference is and, and why wouldn't you spend that money at the uh, uh, Fender custom shop instead or, or, sure. you know, and, and that, that tactile thing um, it, it seems to be, you, you know, most of, as we were saying, most people are playing in their bedroom or their den at, at a reasonable volume. Mm -hmm. And to me, these are the, um, ideal instruments for that, uh, in depth. Yeah. I, I think, I think the, the, the whole notion of the, the strap line is a it's a really good one to to discuss something like this because it's probably next to a telly the most ubiquitous instrument you know, uh, you know electric guitar there is yeah 
and um, and uh, you could. I, I mean, I've I've had um, well, and, and to go even lower than the seven hundred dollars strat. I mean, for years, I built parts casters, and um, and my my longtime luthier still talks about the. Uh, uh, we we put together a Fiesta red one that had been sprayed in you know two two shades of uh, primer like Fender did in the early days. It was swamp ash, hardtail, uh, made by a company in Texas, I think, and it was pretty light. Um, and I had a USACG uh, maple neck, one piece maple neck um, that had I, I, I don't even remember the radius, and it was maybe a, it might have been a super soft V or maybe a you know, strong C or something. And it had a set of Don Mar uh, form bar 50 pickups in it. Don Mar's a winder and out of Bakersfield. It was kind of like seen as the guru of vintage Fender pickup wines. Okay. And Don had scored somehow this, the, the wire that he had, he called them form bar 50 because that was the wire that he used, which was literally, it was wire that had been rescued from a, like an old fender warehouse or something. So he was using old, old fender wire. And my, uh, when we got all done and, and this thing just had a, you know, a, a decent um, hardtail bridge. And when I picked it up from my Luther, he said, it's one of the best strats I've ever heard. And all in with his work, I think I had $675 in the guitar. Wow. And to this day, it's one of the best playing and sound. I don't have it anymore. In fact, in order to get rid of it, I had to part it out. <laughs> and, uh, and to this day, it's probably one of the best sounding and playing strats I ever had. And, uh, and it was just the magic of really well-made parts. Could have been from Fender, you know they weren't, but I mean they they could have been because they were derivative of Fender dimensions and all that. Sure. And uh, and you know uh, a, a nice pickup wine that just happened. You know I picked them because they were fifties uh, vintage low output strap sound, which is what I was going for in the, in the guitar. I didn't know if it was gonna they were gonna sound great in this build because you never know until you know you screw it all together and wire it up and plug it in. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've had, um, I've played $8,000 to Pergos that weren't any better. They, it wasn't worse, but it wasn't any better. And uh, so as you go up the chain, the, the first thing that you get as you start buying luthier built or boutique builder or guitar builder maybe they're not a true luthier but the first thing you get is you almost always get better quality materials better quality woods for the neck yes um not necessarily you know uh, you know the a better carve or better radius or better frets or you know but the the material is probably more stable um maybe it's a little bit more lively neck you know, like there's not kind of like nothing like a, a, a maple neck when you can hold it, you know, by with nothing in it and tap it. And it's got that pingy, you know, that sound that it gets. Yeah. Um, and then a body that's kind of lively. Well, you know, when you're buying, you know, parts casters or you're buying stuff that's made in Mexico, not that there's anything wrong with them, but you're typically you're not going to get as much attention 
to the material selection as you do from a, a custom builder. And then it's the whole thing about, you know, um, uh, for example, I, I just had a master built strat in the shop and, and, and the master builds are probably the most expensive stuff that vendor sells. And I had never had one. I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll drink the water. I'll, I'll check this out. And it was of every fender I've ever had. It was the best strat that, from fender that I'd ever had. And it was 5,500 bucks, something like that. Wow. And um, I liked the neck on it better than I liked my old hardtail. It had a better carve. Um, it was, it was just, it, it wasn't, you know, the, the one that I had, it had a production car from USACG, you know, they set them up and under CNC or routers or whatever, and they got templates and, you know, it's not that they're not doing any handwork, but it's largely machine generated. And, you know, a lot of the stuff, even the custom shop kind of feels that way. Well, the master built, you could tell that there was more care that went into the shaping of the shoulders. And it's, and it's, you can't, it's something you can feel. It's, it's like the difference between something that's really handmade and something that came out of a machine. Yeah. You, you can feel the difference, you know, there's slight imperfections around you. You know, you're not going to hand hammer aluminum into a, a fender panel the same way a press can in GM. But you, you, and you can feel the fact that that's hand hammered. And um, so that, and um, I liken it to, um, I think when you get above about, <clears throat> I've used the number like $3,500 in a guitar. When you go above that number, what you really start to get is the personality of the builder starting to emerge. Yeah. Um, their vision, their attention to detail. Um, whereas below that, it's not that you're getting anything bad, but you're getting stuff that's much more um, mechanized or production oriented where it's people that are, it's not that they don't know what they're doing, but they're doing something over and over, you know, 60, a hundred, 300, a thousand times a day, whatever. And it become, and you can just kind of sense that there's good quality control. It, it feels good. But a hand carved neck is feels really different than than a machine carved neck. Yeah, and um, I, a hand uh, you know a hand shaped body um, feels really. And it's not you know, and I'm not talking about relic and all that. You know, there's but like there's knowing how much finish to have on the back of a neck um, because there's a, when you get to a certain point, you can really I see. I I really prefer. Uh, bare wood. I like to feel wood, and and I'm I'm different that way. I like I don't like grain filling bodies. I like to see the grain of the of the instrument. I, I like the look of wood, and you know rather than having a bunch of plastic over it and spraying it with something so it looks like a glass. I that just it's not that it's bad. It just that's not my thing. Yeah. Um, like your neck, um, uh, I, I keep referring to cause <clears throat> I go to of Jersey Girl. Cause doesn't use templates for anything. And um, he has, and he does not, um, if you said, I want to spec this, I want to spec this neck depth at the first fret, this at the 12th, I want this nut width, I want this carve, I want this kind of relief in the shoulders, he'd say, I'm sorry, I can't do that for you. Yeah, yeah, and as he, as he should. Yeah, because he, he lets the wood 
and the build kind of shape how they go. So he says, you know, I got an idea ballpark of kind of where we end up, but you know, we're not doing it that way. The inlays that Akiko did on yours, you know, yeah, they, they're awesome. incredibly clean. Oh, and, and he gives her total license on, you know, on what to do and, and she decides how it's going to be finished. And, and, and they follow uh, uh, Matt Proctor's the same way as his work has evolved. You know, Matt has a rough idea about what he's trying to do, but the, but the piece of wood or material largely informs where he goes. You know, some of it's, you know, the grain is fighting me here and I could, I could, you know, take out the mallet and, you know, yeah. but, but the wood's trying to tell me no. Or, or you're going to have to work really hard for what you want to get there. So are you sure you want to put that there? Um, and, and, and these craftspeople, I, I feel like it should be um, given a little bit of, uh, of their own artistic license. Otherwise, it's like get the, you know, order the, the factory made guitar. This is, yeah. this is why you're paying that extra is because you have this, um, you, you trust this person to deliver something uh, excellent. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, my wife, you know, I've known Matt for a while and consider him a friend and have spent, you know, hours in his shop. And early on, I would, you know, because Matt builds stuff that's it's not normal and um, or typical or ordinary. And uh, early on, I said to him, do you want to be commercially viable? And he looked at me and says, what are you talking about? And I said, well, do you want to build them and sell them and make money? He says, yeah, but I said, yeah, but what? He's like, well, but I want to build, you know, what I want to build. And that was like really early on. And, uh, and, and a few years later, you know, I'd be talking to my wife about a meeting I have with Matt and she'd say, quit trying to change Matt. Let Matt be Matt. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and Matt and I were, uh, this is about, I don't know, two months ago. Uh, I was over and uh, we were talking about a certain build and I said, well, what about, what about, and I could just kind of see, you know, his back stiffening up a little bit. <laughs> You're like the I Hollywood said, agent of uh, luthiers. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and then I finally said, you know, when am I going to learn? And he didn't say, he didn't, you know, he didn't say, you know, shut the, you know, up. And I said, I, I now get it. I mean, it's taken me a long time to realize, um, understand, you see, because I, I've known artists, but I've never like really worked with them like I do now, if that makes sense. Sure. And understanding that, I mean, Matt is, as he said to me the other day, I'm an artist who likes to build guitars. Right. And that's really different than being a guitar builder that tries to build guitars artfully. Um, there you go. And it's take a meal. So now I just realized, you know, he needs to build what he sees and feels. And, um, it's not that he doesn't want to sell them. I mean, cause I've sold all of his pieces. I mean, he doesn't have anything sitting around that's not been sold. And, uh, and his work has evolved in such a, I mean, it's just mind blowing to me because when you see his stuff, the, the other is, even though he builds these pieces of art, they're really good guitars. I mean, they sound incredible. Yeah. The necks are phenomenal. And, you know, a lot of people look at them and go, well, you know, probably sounds like crap and you probably doesn't play good at all because it's just, you know, a bunch of carved out walnut. 
couldn't be, nothing could be further from the truth. And, uh, and he's never satisfied. He just keeps, you know, searching for a new thing. And it, and it's been a real joy to, um, to be kind of around it and part of it. And, um, like your, your work, you know, I mean, I spent a lot of time trying to convince you about a color or do this or do that. And, and because, you know, there's part of me that thinks, you know, part of my, part of my work is to help people, you know, make a living. And, uh, but the other is recognizing that artists, it's like when you came up with those inlays in the last design. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh my God, that's like, nobody is doing that. And, and, and the other is you're really good at inlay. It's part of what you do. So to be able to, it's kind of like uh, Andy Weber of Whale Hazard, you know, I, I was helping Andy out and, and Andy'd say, what do you think? And I said, man, can you tone back the inlays a little bit? And he's like, what? <laughs> well, you know, because I sold one that was like, it was a Andromeda Elite. And this thing, and, he, and I didn't know he built it for the Vancouver show or Montreal or something. And he was trying to display his ability. So it was like completely blinged out. This guitar had inlay like everywhere. And I'm like, I'll never be able to sell that. <laughs> well, it turned out a guy who was building a collection saw it one day and said, I'll buy that. I'll, my, my assistant will send you the money. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, see, uh, rather than me trying to turn people into something that makes it easier for me to help them, if I learn how to better help them, which is first grounded in really understanding them and learning to appreciate. I mean, some guys do stuff that I just don't appreciate and I shouldn't be you know, their guy because it's like, you know, I, I don't understand what you're doing. And it's not that I don't believe in, I just don't get it. And so I'm not the right, you know, like ambassador. Right. Um, right. And, and I, I appreciate the compliment by the way, but uh, uh, yeah, I appreciate your, uh, your advice always because I, I'm always reaching out to you being like, well, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Cause, okay. cause I, I also want to build guitars to sell um, but then I, again, I want to retain that artistic freedom or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, to my own detriment oftentimes. And, and as, to a lot of artists own detriment, but you're, you're always pointing me in the right direction. So I, I appreciate your input. Well, it's, um, I mean, I think that you, uh, number one, when you're an artist, I don't think many artists go into what they're working at blindly thinking, you know, I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to make all the money in the world. I'm going to drive the fancy. I, I don't think any of them, that that's not why they do what they do. Now, you know, it'd be nice to be recognized. And, and you know, there's some guitar builders that are artists that make a lot of money. You know, Jens Ritter, you know, Jens is probably as successful as any of the kind of boutique he's he may be the most successful of all the boutique builders um yeah he's perhaps got so stuff. and the and the most artistic oh he's got stuff in the smithsonian i mean it's like you know uh and uh he he and i talked a few years ago about working together and he started talking to me about you know what he does and how he does it and and i said uh i said you know i i you know, he was talking about, you know, 300,000 or guitars. I'm like, Ooh. 
I, I, I don't even understand. I can't comprehend that. And I said, and candidly, I'm just not the right guy because, you know, I'm not a collector and I'm not, I'm not a connoisseur. I'm a player who has always liked to see how things are built. And I like people that take chances and express themselves, but you need somebody that's kind of more, you know, dialed into that. And, and, you know, it's like finding where I belong, but I mean, Jens is way, very creative guy. And, and oh, his body uh, shapes are kind of, um, it, if you look at the shape of electric guitars as like an art form, you know, mm-hmm. it, your mind gets used to, uh, the big names, yeah. you know, and, and they become normal. Um, yeah. He has really pushed the bounds of what a guitar body shape can be. Oh, yeah. And and, and it still like be pleasing to the eye. And even sometimes when they're incredibly radical in yeah. their shape, um, they're still functional. You can tell that it's a balanced instrument. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he's. I mean, just where he puts down. tuners on headstocks. I mean, yeah, yeah some, wild simple stuff. stuff like that. Wild stuff, and, and, and uh, I have to not look at him too much because, like, I'll get too influenced. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the way he's uh, he's very philanthropic, um, and and he's very collaborative. I mean, he he did that series where he was working with a painter. And he, they would put the, uh, the guitar essentially like in a canvas. It appeared to be in set into a canvas and then she painted it. So it became part of the painting, but then you could take it away and the guitar. I mean, it was brilliant. And, you know, and a lot of people would not have the courage to collaborate like that because, you know, how you finish a guitar is very influential in whether or not it sells or it, it's a, received well by the public. And or or that it makes a statement you want to, and he let somebody. It's kind of like cause letting Akiko, you know, make the statement about how this thing is going to. So the, the other thing that I've found is the really the really good. I haven't met. Uh, I've met very few builders at the high level who I don't consider to be really really fine people. Yeah, smart. Um, uh, well-spoken. They're always very generous too. Oh yeah. Not only with their time, but with their, their knowledge. Oh, and uh, there, there's none of this uh, combative. Um, uh, I want a confrontational stuff about this is mine. I mean, I, I know of a couple who, you know, they don't want anybody to infringe, but I would say well over 90% of the, uh, the people I've met, they're, uh, they freely share. I mean, cause I almost never buy new stuff and, and all of them, not all, but all, almost all of them help me out with, you know, information about that builder. This is something you might try or here's the history. And yeah. I, I just, and, and, been, and builders kind of compete with themselves with their own used instruments on the market. Yeah. When you realize the, the amount of time it takes to get to where they are, They're, they're not worried about intellectual property or like, uh, if someone rips off their headstock shape, everyone's going to say, Hey, that guy ripped off that guy's headstock shape. And and there are entire, um, um, as a, as a Luthier, your your entire thing is, is based on your reputation Uh, and you're, you know, you can't treat customers like crap because, um, you, 
your future depends on it. So it, it kind of, it keeps them honest and, uh, but they're also, they're just not afraid to share knowledge with the fellow craftsmen because they're already 20 years ahead. And it's like, I'm not worried what you're going to do with the info, uh, you know, we catch yeah, up. Well, the you know? is, uh, yeah. People that are, uh, that have uh, really committed to their art, um, uh, there's not, uh, Matt said it to me, artists, their, their reputation is about them. It's not specifically about what they build. It's their ability to imagine, to create, to explore. That's what makes them, art. I mean, sure you develop, you know, everyone develops a skill to help them manifest that, whatever it is, carving, drawing, painting, sculpting, uh, you know, I, hammer and metal. And so you have to learn that skill to be able to bring to life your idea, you know, and, and the average guy in his garage is not going to be able to take, you know, your headstock and recreate it or your inlay, like that inlay that you did around the, the sound port. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, go, go ahead and copy it. <laughs> well, yeah, no, nobody's going to do it because it's like, how, how am I going to do that? <laughs> and they may look at it and go, wow, that's really cool. I wonder if I could do that. In, you know, with my limited skill, but the other is, but even if they've got the skill and they want to copy it, um, you know, I, I'm not sending them a cease and desist because you're not, right. you're not taking right. any of my customers. They know because no. they're, and, and, and if anything, it, 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 I always see it as a form of flattery that yes. if, if people think the stuff you're doing is so cool that they try to, that they're influenced by it and it weaves into their work, that's a that's a high compliment that um, that we should all uh, we should be thankful of, yeah. <laughs> rather than thinking I got to get people to stop trying to you know mimic me in some way. Sure, I, I you know, and I just don't I don't know many builders that are like that. I most of them are very open. Uh, I mean, my my communication with them is uh, Easy Galasso of Argentina. He's the most genuine soul. I mean, he's just. Is that the one Galasso Luthier on um, uh, yeah. Instagram? Yeah. 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 He uh, Galasso Guitars, I think it is on uh, Instagram. And, okay. and people can almost always find stuff on my site, uh, either my Instagram or my website. And he's, um, uh, he's a guy that is um, so open his heart is so big and the instruments he builds are so personal and and uh, and the chances he takes and you know he's got some machinist in him he's got some wood carver in him mm. he's got some finisher in him he's got a really strong relationship with a guy that he considers his brother who's his pickup winder he's influenced by uh in in uh, argentina there's a big um uh, reproduction car, old, old vintage race car building community down there where they're hand hammering aluminum bodies on, you know, metal buck frames and then hand wired uh, uh, chassis. And, oh, and wow. these guys are his friends. And, and, and you, and you think there's a community that you can just, you can feel it in, in his work and his communication and um, very open giving guide, you know, uh, very trusting. Um, and there, and, and there's so many people out there like that, that are just, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're good people. They make really good instruments and 
Um, you don't have to spend $25,000 to get a Supreme guitar. You, you don't have to spend, you know, $5,000 to get one. Uh, if you spend $5,000 wisely on something, you'll be amazed. You could spend $25,000 unwisely <laughs> and be, you know, hoodwinked. Um, but if, you, if people, you know, kind of like um, dig in a little bit and uh, these guitars are hard, it's hard. You can't go down to Guitar Center and play them. Right. They're just not there. But if you find people that you, you know, that you trust over time, uh, luthiers, dealers, whatnot. And, and I know guys, I mean, I've got a network of dealers, you know, all over the country of people that I talk to about, you know, do you want to swap these pieces because it's not moving for you? And, you know, there's some guys I don't deal with, but there's a lot of guys that are just, you know, they're great. They, they push really incredible stuff and and um you know and nobody's you know getting rich on this it's not it's not about that it's um there should be joy in music there should be joy in life and if you can't have joy making music with a guitar pick up a flute or shakahachi yeah 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 <laughs> absolutely and, and in the end that is what it's all about and, and you can make music on a on a 150 dollar guitar oh Absolutely. Or less. My, or uh, or my, you can my, make music uh, on your iPhone. Uh, yeah. I, I just, uh, you know, I, I played experimental music for about the last 10 years. Oh, really? And about two years ago, I got hooked up with a guy that's a, some people would call them noisemakers. He's got, you know, Newmark turntables and an iPad and a bunch of digital devices with, you know, old cassettes that have been morphed into something. And I discovered him in a show that I was playing one night and I was really taken by first he got up there and he started playing and then he invited people from the audience to come up and participate. So all of a sudden a guy is playing electric bass with him and this is completely improvised. Then another guy, a cook at the restaurant actually came, they have a piano there and he sat down and started playing piano. Then another uh, waitress went and got her violin and she's standing in the back playing her violin. Then the manager of this, of the store, is uh, it's a club uh, it goes and, and there's a snare still sitting up and he goes and he started to play the snare. And I thought I got to hook up with this guy. So I start, I started playing with him and uh, he's got a radio show that I would play on. I would go just, he, he would play like um, he's got a, it's a talk show with noise through the, and then I would just play along with him. And then, and I never thought I would play with somebody that played electronic music. Yeah. Uh, because I thought, you know, because I'd heard it before and kind of noise and I thought I, I'm not really, I, I don't really understand it. Well, this guy's like, he's, you know, taken archives out of the Smithsonian, uh, digital archives and all of a sudden there's somebody's speech and then we've got field recordings bleeding in. And then learning how to uh, train your ear to hear what's around you and then try to relate to it. Yeah. And to respond to it, you know, it, it, it forces you to, or it doesn't for, it challenges you to like open up and number one, learn to hear. And then the other is realize that all your tried and true doesn't work. You can't play blues riffs to this stuff. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I, I love experimental music. Um, um, it really abstract guitar music really really um interests me 
Oh yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it takes you. You have to. Uh, people that would come to the shows would say the one thing about this kind of music is you don't sit there to just sip wine and be entertained. No, you know, you it, it you have to like engage to. It's kind of like going and listening to a play, or listening to someone do spoken word or something. Where yes, you know, you're going and you're there to because the players are always playing they play to themselves, but they also play to the atmosphere of the, of the facility or space. I mean, we played art galleries and stuff. And so it's like, if you do, if you get into it and, and some are train wrecks and right. others are just as blissful as, as could be. And, um, and, and sound is, I mean, it all started with sound first. And then the next thing was rhythm. And from those things, all of this stuff came to light. And, um, and if, if we can just kind of rejoice at sound and rhythm, which are, you know, the most, I mean, sounds everywhere. And so is rhythm in some form. But then, you know, the first thing man really started to do once we could create sound was we learned how to create a rhythm. It's, I mean, it's, it's great stuff. I, it, it I, seems uh, like a really old form of communication. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're communicating uh, a feeling. Yep. And, you know, l- trying to figure out how to convey feeling by sound is it's, it's even more difficult than trying to describe sound with words for me. Yeah. Because you have to, um, you know, like I started look uh, like it's, it's part of what changed the way I saw guitars in ways because I started looking uh, no more at like box patterns or whatnot in the fingerboard, but I started to look at the neck in terms of just where sounds and tones were. I mean, just simply, you know, the further up towards the headstock you go, the sounds get darker. And then as you go across the neck, they get somewhat brighter. And then as you come down, down the neck towards the body, sounds get brighter or, or more immediate. And then they get even brighter still. So then learn. So I went from a guy that played kind of in boxes to now I play um, all over the neck based on what I'm trying to get. And the other is I started really studying intervals and the what sensation or feeling or thought an interval generated or reflected. Mm-hmm rather than playing uh, just, again, a box pattern, you know, which is kind of the way most of us learn how to play. But then when you start looking at the, the relationship between tones, there's a feeling that they generate. I mean, sometimes there's a, like a, a flatted fifth or a raised sixth or a flatted second. There's a little bit of tension and yeah. Unease that they create, and it's like, well, why is that? And how can you turn that into something you're more comfortable with? And then where does it go from there? You can keep doing that to make it even more, you know, because the more discord you play, it becomes, um, it it, it loses its discord. <laughs> yeah, because it becomes familiar and anticipated, and all of a sudden it makes sense. And then if you keep playing minor seconds. And then all of a sudden you play uh, a, a natural third. The natural third kind of sounds odd. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I was uh, just, uh, I was just explaining to my six year old that the reason feeling happy is uh, such a good feeling is because you've felt really sad before. 
There you go. And everything is a comparison. And, and yeah. yeah, music is the same way. And if you've got a dissonant chord and then you resolve to like a major seven chord, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's like a release. Yep. It's like this tension and then just like a, ah. Oh. Which is exactly the way, you know, it, it's spoken of in, in music is tension and release is, you know, building up to a resolution point. I, I remember early on when I was studying, I used to be a real fan of Ralph Counter, who was a nylon string and 12 string finger style player and actually played um, uh, a wonderful pianist as well. He was uh, 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 born uh, not far from where I live and trained at the University of Oregon. And he, he formed a group at Oregon with a bunch of guys that were from U of O and the name of the group is called Oregon. And they played, um, they were on ECM and whatnot. And they played uh, music that would be kind of the combination if you took like folk music and jazz music and maybe um, ethnic musics and kind of wove them all together. They had a, a, woodwind player, an upright bass player, a tabla player, and then this guy that played either nylon string or 12 string or piano. So really d different like um, orchestration in the band. Uh -huh. And uh, he wrote a book and it was an instructional book on, you know, guitar playing. And he talked about the, the most important note is the next note you play. Because that's where it's like you, you reference with your child, you know, the thing about being happy is it relieves you from being sad. Sure. And when you play a note, the next note that you decide to play determines where you're going to take that thought, that feeling, whatever. Um, and, and the amount, so it's really just a question of, you know, it's silence and, sound and how much silence is between the sounds that helps us express ourselves. And, um, and it's, it's a hard study to get at because, you know, we're so inundated with, you know, popular music and, uh, you know, learning to play tunes and whatnot, as opposed to learning to really kind of express how you feel or what you think by mm -hmm. a sound. And it's, 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 it's kind of like painting, I would imagine. You know, yeah. different paint colors convey a different feeling or sense or excitement or, and uh, the really good ones figure that out. And the ones that don't would paint like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, you're definitely, you're definitely right there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a, music is a really, really cool community. Ah. And it's, it's a really rewarding community I mean, some of my favorite people are musicians local to me yeah yeah there it's it's uh kind of remarkable the the barriers that it takes down you know you see uh you know you'll see a youtube video or something of a song that's played by people all over the world and the joy with which they approach the thing and and i don't know about you but whenever i listen to music i i never get in a bad mood <laughs> no and uh, I mean, you know, sometimes you get reflective and some things are, you know, a little bit sullen, but it, they, it doesn't make me like angry or sad. And uh, and I think, uh, you know, uh, I think anybody is musical. And I think the more like my wife, you know, just started to learn how to play the guitar a few months ago. And 
and she sits down and, you know, I've, I've taught her, you know, a few chords and she gets a big smile on her face when she plays a G chord and there's no strings buzzing, you know, yeah. like, look at that. I just did that. And now she's figured out how to move from chord to chord. And it was really interesting when she did that, she looked at me and she said, Oh, I just, I just made this movement and went from one chord to another. And it was really, I just kind of held that shape. If you're going like from an E major first position to an A minor. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's easy. And, and there's this movement that she felt that really changed the way she felt about playing. And I thought that's really good that you discovered that really early on, because that's what it's all about. It's, it's a, how do you move sound forward or back or, you know, where do you take it and where does it take you? And, yeah. and that's, you know, the beauty is you have builders like you, like cause, like Matt, like Saul Cole, like uh, Rainer Tausch, like uh, Jens Ritter, uh, Joe Yamazello, Johan Gustafsson. Uh, I don't belong they, in this list, by the way. Oh, no, no. <laughs> you know, Damien Probert, uh, the Tau guys in Belgium. You have I, all these I love people. Tau. They're great. Oh, and they're, and they're building instruments that the most important thing is they encourage you to play them because they're so fine. They're, they're visually appealing. They feel good against you. They're well-made, they're, uh, they're, um, they're easy to play. And then the other is they have sounds that are c- kind of new in a way, you know, that yeah. um, they're not just, um, you know, we, we grew up on, you know, I grew up hearing uh, Rickenbacker, um, Gretsch, uh, Kelly, Strat, Les Paul. That was kind of the guitars that, you know, that most popular bands were playing that were on a radio or something. Yeah. And, and, and those sounds became, you know, synonymous with music. And, and to this day, I mean, they're, they're still the sounds that most people think of, uh, but there are sounds out there that are really different that are, um, uh, that are really challenging and stimulating in some ways. And, uh, um, and that's what it, I think new builders, I kind of think of this as kind of the golden age of electric guitar, that there's, there's more going on today than I think there's ever been and at a higher level, um, with, and you can, uh, you can buy from people that you really admire, trust, respect, you know, you, 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 uh, relate to their work, you know, their, um, if you're influenced by Art Deco, you can find that if you're influenced by, um, you know, old time parlor guitars, uh, the, yeah. the guitar that I was just referencing uh, by Adriano Sergio, the Ergon, it's a, it's a convergence of a parlor guitar and an archtop guitar. Those two forms were what led him to what he built. Even, uh, I, I see builders that are influenced by, um, you know, cheap harmony instruments, yep. but they build a oh, really yeah. fine instrument that's kind of reminiscent of that. Absolutely. And, and, and they're building, you know, newer, there's a lot, there, there's a, a kind of a growing trend of, uh, I can think of two guys in particular, uh, um, Pete Malinowski of Malinowski Guitars and Sam Evans of uh, uh, Cardinal Instruments out uh-huh. of Boston. And they're taking old, you know, rat, largely made in Japan guitars 
they're pulling fingerboards off, they're pulling the necks off, they're pulling fingerboards off, or they're resurfacing fingerboards, re-radiusing, refretting, putting decent hardware, a good bridge, you know, maybe a, a new set of pickups, and they're bringing these guitars. They had a lot of possibility to life, and, and, and they're really, really affordable, and they're super cool. And, um, you know, which yeah, that, you know, that didn't happen. You know, those guitars were largely discarded as being garbage. Um, Joe Yanozello is very influenced by uh, Harmony guitars. And, um, but he builds, you know, a very. So nice. So perfect. Wealth. It's it, they're in some ways they're really, really simple, but the, um, the attention to detail, um, he uses a three screw neck. Uh, attachment, which, you know, Fender got, you know, blasted for doing um, his, his choices of woods, his, I mean, Joe's a true luthier. He can build arch top, um, square neck dobro, mandolin, um, uh, uh, you know, flat top acoustic, solid body, semi, I mean, he can build anything and his, his work, I mean, I think he's got like a two year backlog now. I've owned probably eight of them and played like five more. They're just stunningly cool. And they look like they'd be like really delicate and maybe a little bit um, um, kind of they'd only be for refined music, if that makes sense. Sure. And then you dig in and it's like, whoa, I mean, this, this thing can rip like anything. But it, at the same time, it's got this string separation. The thing that appeals to me is it's the kind of, string separation and note tone balance that I really appreciate in music. And, uh, and Joe's guitars have that in spades and, you know, he's, um, and he's a fabulous human. I mean, he's just, he's so, he's, he builds out, of, I think, uh, just outside of Toronto or Montreal mm -hmm. up in Canada. Um, there's a bunch of people out there doing really cool stuff that are, you know, good people doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we, we really are in the golden age. And, yeah. and yet, uh, most of these people are still relatively unknown. Yep. It, there's yeah, there's people with uh, five year backlogs that no one's heard of. Yeah. Well, Saul Cole, uh, Saul. Most people, most guitar guys that are you know that are that are kind of been around a little bit. Most of them have probably heard about Saul. Yeah, um, I, I love his stuff too. By the yeah. way. Yeah, and you know Saul was originally trained as an artist, and you can see it in his work and. Um, Saul, uh, also uh, very influenced by Gretsch in some ways. You can see mm -hmm. kind of an homage in the way in his body shapes. But, you know, Saul found a form. Saul's got a really good eye about symmetry, um, uh, design. Um, he's, a, he's a luthier. I mean, he was a repair guy for a long, long time. And uh, so, he, I mean, Saul's guitars are exquisitely built. And, uh, and he could build anything you wanted. Um, I've known Saul since the eighties. And, uh, in fact, he built the very first custom guitar I ever had. And, uh, um, he's just, he's as good as they get. And, um, and, and still yet kind of underappreciated, you know? Um, yeah. um, but you know, but that's, I think that's kind of artist plight in a way. I, I think, you know, if everything, that artists did became mainstream, it wouldn't be art anymore. That's true. Uh, you know, it would give, because it would become very common and widely accepted and which, and anything like that means it's really watered down. And, um, 
to make it, you know, everybody happy. It's kind of like having too much pepper in your, you know, not many people like that. You know? uh, uh. <laughs> this has been a great conversation, Scott. I uh, really enjoyed it. I, I hope, you know, we went where you wanted to go. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think it was great. Uh, I, I really like talking about um, high end guitars and responsive guitars. I mean, I could talk about that stuff all day. So I, I appreciate you diving deep with me. You bet. And um, I, you know, it's, I think this is a really cool thing that you're on to where you're um, talking to people about, you know, not just mastery of something they're working at, but kind of the, the essence of it and, and uh, wh why they do it. And uh, I think it really is aligned with uh, how you build and um well, thanks. your your approach uh if people haven't seen it they need to go to your uh instagram and see that the, that uh recent one the pink one where the um shoulder carve and the tummy cut that that line that you were able to come up with not many people do that and it's it's really um it's pretty cool it's a, i would consider it a very sensual line but at the same time oh, well, thank very you. kind of um if um, um, it, it's effective, it, you know, you're, you're not just carving them to carve them, but the way that's going to help that gu the guitar rest against your body is really right. affected by that. And uh, to be able to do both things, have an artistic line that actually uh, contributes to the playability of the guitar. That's, I, that, that's the high point of art where it's not just, I mean, you could have a great line that didn't mean anything other than, sure you know. well i i appreciate you noticing it i i, I do spend a lot of time uh, making those 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 curves smooth and transition smoothly mm -hmm. with the body like if you yeah. look at the back of a strat you know it's very it's just a dished out thing it doesn't yeah. follow the line of the body yeah um, that is one thing when i got the jersey girl that i was very very impressed by um, and, and I, and I learned from, I was like, okay, I really need to, um, step up my game in that department. Uh, because, uh, every Jersey girl, if you look at the back, um, the belly carve is going to follow the contour of the body outline yep. and, and it's just elegant and yep. it's beautiful and it's very artistic and, uh, and not easy to do. No, it can yeah, get away from probably, um, he probably of all the people who I've seen gets that more than anybody. Uh, and then his uh, willingness to break up a sharp edge with a chamfered edge and yes. the way he does it, how he initiates where he'll go around a corner with them, the way he terminates them. It's, uh, it's, really beautiful and in some ways you know it it's uh, people are like well why would you go to all that effort and it's like because because <laughs> yeah because <laughs> and 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 when you see his stuff it just it all it for example it would not make sense to have a kiko do all that she does with inlay and finish and then not pay attention to the the, the body and the neck itself if that makes yeah. sense. It's yeah, like everything all, they do all comes together, doesn't it? Yeah, even the way they um, even the way they photograph things, you know, I've started thinking about it because I, I try to, you know, make my I'm not a, um, a professional photographer, but I'm learning, you know, how to get lighting right and 
and I try to do stuff outside as much as possible. Do they take their own photographs? Yeah, well, um, you know, the the stuff that's on like sidewalks and whatnot, those are all mine because I found a spot that kind of I can get some depth and I can almost always get the right light. Uh, And but our house, you know, we've got, you know, kind of a a tan colored carpet and kind of tannish walls that just they there's not, you know, it's really hard to photograph guitars. That's terrible. And um, so that's why I, and I used to have a spot in in our last house that was good. It was kind of um, architecturally, it was interesting. Well, this house is not like that. So, um, so, um, and then, and then with guys who I uh, consign stuff with, I'll work with them on, because, you know, most guys will not take good pictures or if they take a picture and they think it's good, they shouldn't. And, uh, <laughs> and I, and I work with it because, you know, if you're going to sell a high end piece, it would be like trying to sell a really high end car, but you didn't wash it before you sold it. Yeah. You know, yeah. people think, you know, or you washed everything, but you left the wheels and tires really muddy. Um, it, you, it want sell a, a, you want to sell a $20,000 Rolex with a, a blurry uh, right. iPhone photo. Yeah, and it, it, it because it it uh, reflect it immediately creates an impression that you don't care, yes, or you don't appreciate, or or you know, or or you don't get it, or whatever. So it doesn't mean you have to be a pro, but it just means you know. And and with with you know cameras, there's no reason for an out of focus picture. You just delete it and take it again, you know. Uh, so you know, learning how to do that, uh, but. But cause, you know, he, um, Ico is, cause does some other photography work, but Ico is really the photographer of the group and her work is, it's, it's insane. It's spectacular. I mean, the, even the way they, they get lighting and, and when they stage stuff in there, I mean, you can tell it's staged because they have their shop helpers, you know, poised and hold apart or something. Yeah. They're like these little wooden sculptures that yeah, are yeah. in every photo that yeah. it's very cute and part of the personality of the And community. it's part and they, you know, they consider them part of the, and you see one of those cause made and the other was made I think by Andy Manson for him as as a as a kind of a friendship gesture. So that's how they got the second one and they they use them in their photographs when they're gardening. They yeah. I mean it's it's so they figured out kind of a, a, a theme about how they're going to approach this stuff. And it's consistent in the way they grow vegetables and the way they photograph their product and how they build stuff. You know, it's just, there, there's nothing artificial about it. It's all, they mean all of it. And um, I know people really yeah, very earnest, earnest. Yeah. And I know people that have been really, you know, moved and influenced by that and try to, you know, better introduce that. And, uh, for example, you, I, the, the note that came, you know, with, with yours, yeah. um, I know people now that are trying to do things like that. And it's not like, oh, I'm going to copy, but it's like, they get that. It's like, no, this is personal. That was the other thing I, I learned from buying that guitar was, um, presentation. Yeah. It's so important and it felt, um, felt special and it felt like, uh, money well spent. And it yeah. was, a well, you probably, was, well, felt I like, didn't know what to expect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, you probably felt like you were, uh, appreciated, uh, respected, uh, held in high regard and that you weren't just 
somebody that bought a guitar from them. Absolutely. And um, that's, I mean, that's kind of the ultimate when the, it's not customer service for the sake of customer service, it's customer service. They don't even think of it that way. It's, no, that's just who they are. Yeah, that's, and, um, you know, and I, and I think, um, you know, it's, it's affected the way I've looked at, uh, like, uh, I've got people that are talking to me about, you know, what are you going to get from them uh, next year? And I said, I have no idea. And they said, and you're going to buy them anyway? I said, absolutely. Yeah, whatever <laughs> they, they want to give me. Yeah, and they said, and they said, well, what are you going to do if you don't like it? And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I, I just told cause whatever for you want to give me if I can get next year's they're going to build their uh, 30th anniversary they're going to be a, a celebration run or something like that and I said you know if I could get something out of that that would be cool just because it's it would be memorable but I said other than that you pick what it is and you pick everything about it and um because I you know I trust them absolutely and uh, oh yeah and because it yeah, they're gonna they're gonna do it better than you can imagine. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's it's kind of funny. It goes along with my uh, both my older children are artists, and uh, both were fine art majors in, in college. And um, my eldest son, uh, when I was uh, dreaming up the website, my Instagram and everything, I people said you got to come up with a logo. So you know, I started talking. I started studying logos, and you know, I went way down the rabbit hole. And then one day um, we were, um, I think we were doing like a, it was, it was pre-Zoom. So we were doing Skype or something like that. And, um, and I'm trying to tell him what I want. And uh, so, so he's trying to draw stuff for me. And the, the more I talked, the more I screwed up what he did. <laughs> and he's, and I could tell, not that he's getting really frustrated, but it's like really hard to be an artist and have a non-artist tell you what they, and then I'm trying to guide his work. So he says, hey, j just a second. So he sat there and he's got, you know, his uh, camera taking a picture. And he, and within about seven seconds, he did my logo. Oh, my gosh. And he said, how about that? And I said, how did you do that? And he said, well, you just told me what you wanted and you quit talking. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then uh, I think we made like one small, uh, we made like two small adjustments to it. And I thought. And I, I told him, I said, you know, thank you. For, number one, thank you for being my son. Number two, thank you for being willing to do this. And number three, thank you for not getting like really mad and frustrated. And I said, what you came up with, I could never have come up with that. And I get more comments about my my logo and, and logos matter. You know, they really do. Yeah. And, have a great logo. And I thought, yeah, wow, that just, I mean, it was a real good lesson, you know, cause lessons are always out there for us. It's just, you know, you, you'll get older and it's really hard to accept them because <laughs> yep. yeah. they're more important the older you get. It's like, you don't have as much time. We're trying to get you to pay attention. <laughs> well, I think that's a great note to go out on. Yeah. Thank you so much again, Scott. And I, I hope to talk to you again soon. Well, thank you, Ben. Thank you very much.